This is episode 52 of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. Jeremy Spector is here. I am Ronan O'Shea. This show, though, is all about the big guy. And before we talk about any Cubs or Major League Baseball or John Lester or anything else, happy birthday, Randall. Thank you, Ronan. I appreciate it. Happy birthday, it. Randall. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Now, we're recording this podcast on the evening of Wednesday, January 12th. Randall, your big day is tomorrow. January. By the time by the time our loyal listeners are being assaulted in the ears by this podcast, it will be my legal calendrical birthday. Yes. People well, listening this to this, it will be his birthday. Jeremy, is this a bigger day for Randall or me? Uh, it's a big day. I think it's a bigger day for the world, to be honest. Uh, it's a it's a you know, it's an extraordinary event. It's a big bash. I'm I'm very excited. Hopefully we have a giant gala for him. Well, just, uh, just any like more you. alliterative terms you can use. I don't know. Just like New Year's, as they track when it hits midnight, uh, different parts of the world, parts of the world that are ahead of us on the, the time zones, uh, they're tracking as we get to January 13th and other parts of the world. And when I say they, I mean you and Jeremy are. Yes. Like you, you've got like a tracking app. Oh, yeah. Well, Randall, every 22 minutes tomorrow from sunrise to sundown, voice memo from me, Jeremy, you're welcome to join in on that. I need you to feel it, Randall, from when you wake up to when you go bed, all the love tomorrow on your big day. You do that when it's not my birthday. You're going to claim <laughs> tomorrow's any different? I, I think anyone listening, to be honest, should just any way you can send Randall a message on the 22 of yeah. the hour, you know, every 22 minutes, just a Twitter DM, a Twitter message, anything, you know, you find him on Facebook, just, just find Randall, send them a message at the 22. Randall, you are superstitious. You're also a man who likes a, a schedule or a process, like a, a protocol to follow. With that in mind, are there any traditions that you have that you do for yourself on your birthday? You know, not really. I try to have a good meal somewhere along the day, either a, a real good lunch or a real good dinner, depending on what the day permits and what the day brings. But other than that, no. And, you know, especially when the birthday falls during the week, you, you just try and get through another work day and, and get yourself home so you can relax until the next one. Do you have any uh, plans right now? Any ideas of what that meal will be tomorrow? I, I'm probably going to get Portillo's tomorrow. You oh, know, yeah. nice, yeah. enough, nice enough to give you that free slice of chocolate cake. Uh, on your birthday. And apparently they have just introduced their chocolate covered strawberry shake. And, uh, you know, I'm a simple man who enjoys simple pleasures like things called chocolate covered strawberry shakes. So that I think that's probably the play for me tomorrow night. That sounds really good. I would give a lot for some Portillo's tomorrow night, Randall. Well, I will I will eat it in your honor, Ronan. Well, I'm very excited. I, this is one of my uh, big days of the year. My parents very thoughtfully for the Christmas time, they got me a Barry Butler Chicago calendar, a wonderful photographer. They know I'm a fan of him. He's got great shots of Chicago. The very first thing I did when I hung up that calendar is I went to 113 and I put that Ryoku symbol. And it's like, here we go. It's Randall's day. It's a big day. And uh, we thought about recording the pod tomorrow, but I kind of like this. This is like Randall Eve, and we're getting to celebrate that together. Mm -hmm. And it should be noted, Barry Butler, the fantastic Chicago-based photographer Ronan mentioned. Find him on Twitter at BarryButler9, all one string. Find him on Instagram as well, where he posts even more just amazing photos from yeah. a number of different tableaus, a number of different angles. Same handle there, BarryButler9, Instagram and Twitter. Definitely give him a follow. Absolutely. I like I like Randall Eve because it's like, you know, you're excited for the next day. You're going to wake up in the morning early, get down, and you say, hey, it's Randall, Randall Miss. And, uh, you know, you're very excited. And, and I actually like doing it today, too, because as we mentioned, the people listening, they'll be listening on the birthday yes. as opposed to the day after. So that, that's very good as well. 
Well, he's on Twitter at Randall J. Sanders. He'd love to hear from you tomorrow. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. We'd love to hear from you as well. Jeremy and I may have some Randall-themed content that we'll be able to churn out on the Twitter tomorrow. But before we move on and get into Cubs stuff, Jeremy, we didn't talk about this. I'm totally putting you on the spot here. If there is one thing you think our listeners should know about Randall J. Sanders that they probably don't, what is it? Uh, I don't know if this is a, a thing that they don't necessarily know, but if you ever go to a game with Randall, and, and you might be able to tell from his tweets, the man, he knows how to say <laughs> some chants. He knows how to say some things at the umpires. He knows how to yell some stuff out in the crowd. You'll be sitting around, and, and the, they'll be coming out. You know, he's got some prepared things he has some classics that go back ways and people be looking around you're like hey that's randall he, he's going in that race right at the umpire or he's giving it to joe who's you know pulled out a pitcher maybe a little too late i have been known to occasionally shout some things at a ball game never anything vulgar there are kids no, around you don't want to correct. be that guy but uh, i have been known to shout some things at ball games yes that is true you, you've turned some heads randall you know people five six seven rows in front of us that are just kind of enjoying their friday afternoon at wrigley Home plate umpire botches the call and then boom, without hesitation. Hey, Blue, got your cell phone here. Whole bunch of missed calls. That is classic Randall J. Sanders. You, you can't you can't go to a ball game, not break out the missed calls. Five, six, seven rows, five, six, seven sections. I know how to project. I can get volume out of my voice. That's right. Well, the three of us have been to a lot of Cubs games over the years. Because of this stupid pandemic, it has not been something we've been able to do since here in Denver in 2019. So let's change that here in the year of the Randall. I'm looking forward to getting out there with you both back to Wrigley Field, maybe some road venues and seeing what the Cubs do. Um, but let's talk some baseball. Lots going on. We're out of plenty of time, Jeremy, to come back and do more birthday love for Randall. It will be a big theme on today's show. Some other things we want to talk about, though, lockout, some big news tomorrow on Randall's birthday. We'll get into that. Following up on our MLB.TV discussion from last week, some fun things to share there. Big Chicago Cubs and Major League Baseball news today. John Lester, the World Series hero for multiple teams, retires. We're going to talk a lot about John. Jeremy's prepared some trivia for us. We'll look at all the 452s in Cubs history that have worn that number. The Bears need a new coach and GM. We'll have a few minutes on that and then the Bulls at the very end of this. But that's the plan here today. This is episode 52. I want to start with something a little bit different. I was watching the National Championship Monday night. Wonderful football game. Alabama, Georgia, uh, just awesome. College football is the best. I prefer it to the NFL. Personally, I prefer college sports to the NFL and to the NBA. And it was a wonderful, lived up to the billing, kind of a slow first half offensively, and then just lights out in the second half, Georgia wins it. Controversial call in that game, though, led to a score. Fans littering the field with trash. I saw it, and guys, it brought me back to kind of a dark era in Cubs baseball. This used to be a thing at Wrigley Field. You remember when people would throw garbage on the field when there were controversial calls or even home runs hitting the ball game? Yeah, definitely. I, I remember, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. That was a common thing to happen at Wrigley Field. I remember the game like, you know, the game where Chad Kruder, I think, you know, that his hat got stolen. The Dodgers went to the stands. Got yeah. The fans were throwing things on the field that whole time or just different calls. And, and I'm not just talking about Oh Henry bars when, you know, Henry Rodriguez would hit a Homer. Uh, that was a common, and it's kind of crazy that that's kind of gone by the wayside so fast. Like you don't think about that anymore. So it was a pretty uh, remarkable effort by the Cubs to get that under, under control. Yeah. It was a real black eye. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, that's what people used to think of Wrigley as. Jeremy, you mentioned that something that's gone by the wayside. That's probably a good thing. You never want to be the 
the the crowd, the fan base that is throwing things on the field. And Ronan, it shows uh, how baseball brained all of us are, I think, that you see this happening in a, a college football game, the <laughs> biggest college football game. And your very first thought is, I remember when that used to happen at Wrigley. But even, you know, I go back and I watch clips of playoff games. It happened in 03. Uh, 98, it happened all the time in the 98 season. And it wasn't just, okay, the umpire blew a call or it, like Sammy Sosa would homer and then fans would just start chucking garbage on the field. I'm so glad that that stopped because that was completely ridiculous. But I'll tell you, go on YouTube, pull up games from that era, watch the full broadcast, and you'll hear Chip saying, well, there's fans throwing garbage on the field. It's going to be a delay here. And just thinking that, fortunately, to your point, Jeremy, that has been faded out. It's not something we see anymore at Wrigley Field. Yeah, I don't remember the last time it happened. It was probably at least 15 years ago, or maybe there's an instant in that time period, but I just don't remember. And it was commonplace. It was something that would happen all the time, you know, maybe. And it's remarkable the effort probably it took to get that under control, and the Cubs were able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, Wrigley Field's beautiful. And if you sit out in the bleachers, Jeremy, that's where your season tickets have been the last couple of years. They've got that sign, keep Wrigley beautiful. I'm glad that that kind of resonates. I, I don't want that to ever be a thing that comes back, you know? I 100% agreed. Well, college football was good. Not so much for my Hoosiers this year, but very, very entertaining season, generally from start to finish, and at least Alabama didn't win it this time. I think of Georgia was the first time since 1980. So wonderful football program. They've done a obviously fantastic job recent years recruiting. They bring another title down there to the state of Georgia. Um, still locked out though here in major league baseball. We're about a month and a half into the major league baseball lockout weird that this thing continues to roll out. We're not surprised that it's still going on, but it's a month and a half of absurdities on team websites and MLB.com and social media channels. The news that I heard is major league baseball, the owners and those executives will be submitting a proposal to the players tomorrow. What can we expect to be coming out of that tomorrow, Jeremy? Uh, from what I've read and, you know, take some of this with a grain of salt, obviously uh, some of it comes from like Bob Nightingale, but he's had a pretty good line to the owners. So who knows um, they're going to, the owners are going to make proposals on, uh, you know, the minimum salary, which is actually a big deal for the players. Cause the way things have gone lately, um, you know, free agency has been kind of, uh, they're, the, the teams are investing more in, you know, pre arbitration and, uh, those types of players because on their cost control. So the mid-level veteran has like kind of been phased out of the game. So yeah. it's a bigger deal for players like, okay, well, we want our minimum salaries to be great because there's more of us here who are playing for that. So, and we're not going to make that money when we get into free agents like we used to. So that's something I know the owners are proposing. I think they're also um, going to talk about, you know, draft pick compensation, maybe and somehow in their plan, get rid of that. But I think they're actually not really going very far in depth on certain other topics. And it, so I don't see this being like a type of proposal that it's going to get started like, or maybe it could start some very in-depth talks, but it just seems like it's kind of an opening kind of yeah. proposal. Yeah. I don't have very high hopes for this latest offer. It does seem like it's just an effort to get the ball rolling again, which is better than nothing. It, it, yeah. Even if they're talking unproductively, it's still better than not talking at all, but it, it does seem like it's still going to be quite a while before we get any considerable movement. But again, talking is better than not talking. Whatever comes out of tomorrow ultimately will be rejected or at least not fully accepted. And that's part of negotiating. So I think it is a good sign that, okay, we're about a month out from spring training starting now. And at least we're getting an exchange of proposals here. Now, the players are going to have to counter what's going to be ugly over the next 24 hours or 48 hours is going to be what leaks to the media. 
And Randall's reaction to it on his birthday, he's going to be yeah. trying to be celebrating his big day, and he's just going to mm. be pissed off all afternoon. And there's but Bob Nightingale and John yeah. Heyman <laughs> parroting whatever the owners tell them. No respect for my birthday from the, the national media. None. But, you know, what I think is important here is that we've really not had any movement since the beginning of December. This is something. Not the finish line, but we're a little bit closer. I think that's important, too. And, and you would think that both sides have been huddling uh, with, the, with each other, uh, with their own groups. And that's probably where most of the work gets done is, you know, in, in figuring out their own proposals and then they'll come to the table, make a proposal and then later a counter proposal. And so the hope is that even if this first proposal gets rejected or whatever, that I, I, I'm pretty sure the league, uh, excuse me, the union will come back with a counter proposal. Um, and then hopefully the league, you know, you know, engages on that and then more productive talks can happen down the way. Hopefully this isn't just like, okay, we made a proposal, union makes a counter proposal and then talks are just shut off until February or something. Yeah. You want to get that sense of urgency. I'm getting it. Baseball should be here in a month. I really need something to get going here so I can start thinking that, all right, we're going to have games in a couple months. Yeah, and, and and today, earlier today, I saw, and we'd been talking about how, you know, maybe at some point the union would be doing something for players that, you know, because spring training is coming up. And today I saw they made a deal with, uh, I guess, uh, baseball-related facilities called uh, DBAT, where all players on 40-man rosters get a free membership to this, uh, to these facilities. There's a hundred facilities across the country and they can just go in anytime they want and work out. And so the union is already taking those steps. So they've now set up a way where players can just go in and work out at these uh, baseball centric facilities. Well, one of the interesting things about this lockout is players that are on the 40 man roster, or at least major league players can't talk to the teams. And this includes players that are recovering from injuries including the Cubs starting second baseman next year, Nick Madrigal. When the Cubs made that trade, he was on the injured list. He wasn't to return to the season last year. Did either of you catch the story earlier this week about how he's sort of circumventing that and how the Cubs are able to at least have some type of discussion on the progress of his injury? Ronan, I did catch that story, and it's it's unfortunate. And Madrigal himself in that story talks about how he wishes he could have direct contact with the team so he could get... Uh, insight and advice, how to do this exercise, how to do that exercise, how to help himself get healthy again. And he can't have that right now. So, you know, it's another one of those things that I hope will be a, a cultural artifact in the sport of baseball sooner versus later, where guys recovering from injury could not talk to the teams. They had to use intermediaries. He has to tell one set of trainers and that set of trainers is able to communicate with another set of trainers who can communicate with the team. So it's unfortunate for guys recovering from the injury. Um, he's able to at least get some communication with the team though, which is better than nothing. I thought the interesting thing about that story is I don't think it really means anything, but that the Cubs recommended a facility for Nick Madrigal to train at, and he chose a different facility that was run oh by one of his buddies, uh, a guy from Elk Grove Village, which has and not Elk Grove Village in Chicago, Elk Grove Village in, in California, which has produced a ton of Major League Baseball players. Uh, I know one of Randall's favorites, uh, uh, Dylan Carlson, his father runs the baseball program out there, so they produce a lot of talent. But uh, I just think, you know, as Randall said, like he has – his trainers are able to talk to the Cubs uh, training staff. So he has like, they'll tell him, okay, this is what they want you to do, or this is what we want you to do. But he's not getting that. Like he doesn't have the personal touch of actually hearing it himself. He has to take, you know, the word from somebody else who's taking it from somebody else. So, yeah. but it, it's interesting. And it's, it's a tough situation, especially for, like you said, those guys like magical that are just trying to work their way back to get into game shape. You know, Jeremy, I want to put you on the spot here a couple years ago. 
we were talking about Nick Madrigal with our buddy, uh, big White Sox fan, and you weren't all that high on him. You, you know, the, you mentioned that he doesn't have very much power. This is a time or an era in baseball where basically everybody can hit the ball out of the ballpark. We know what Madrigal brings to the Cubs next year is contact. He will make contact with that baseball. That should lead to a lot of base hits. Have you come around at all on Nick? Are you feeling better than you did when he was that up-and-coming second baseman for the White Sox? I'm still skeptical, I would say. I, I do think, like, last year, before he got traded to the Cubs, I was a little surprised at how well he was performing. To be fair, he got into, like, a really good hot streak, and then he got hurt, and then he got traded. So we never really saw, like, you know, a huge sample. It just happened to be he got hurt when he was really hot. So we don't know whether or not that's kind of who he was going to be or – um you know, is, was he going to kind of dip after that? I'm a little worried because we've seen with guys, you know, maybe your Starling Castro, your Albert Amora, even Javier Baez, not not necessarily as much advice, but like guys that are able, Josh Vitters, guys that are able to make a lot of contact have a tendency to swing at like anything because they can hit anything. And that gives them a tendency to swing at pitchers' pitches and they get themselves out. And Madrigal doesn't have that power, but he can make a lot of contact. So it, it bothers me that like I could see him just – kind of hitting into like a lot of infield outs, you know, he's, he's going to yeah. roll over balls. He's going to kind of hit. And so that, that kind of scares me and his defense hasn't always been what it's been cracked up to be. So, but like I said, last year, before he got hurt, he was really turning it on. He, he was hit playing very well for the white Sox. He had like a 420 slug, which is something like really high for a guy like Nick Matrical. So we'll see. He's a completely different player. He doesn't strike out ever. So that's, you know, maybe that's a positive. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, hopefully he proves me wrong. You mentioned Starlin Castro too. One thing about Starlin and he's had a long career, many productive years with the Chicago Cubs. I don't know if there's ever been a player in the history of the sport that I've seen hit more ugly pitches than Starlin Castro. And the only other exception I could make to that in a completely different way, Alfonso Soriano had a way of hitting balls that were basically bouncing in the dirt out of the ballpark. Not really the same for Starlin, but there are so many pitches that you go, how the hell did he make contact with it, let alone get a base hit out of it? That's something that stands out to me about Starlin over the years. You wonder not just how did he make contact with it, you just wonder why he swung at it in the first place. <laughs> and then from there, that the, the progression goes, how did, why did he swing at it? How did he hit it? And how did he hit it that far? Vladimir Guerrero was another guy like that. He had, you know, what they call a, a nose to toes strike zone. He could take a baseball at his eyes, a baseball at his toes, and he could hit it a very long way. So it's always interesting to see different hitters like that who can take a ball anywhere, the whole length of their body and, and do damage with it. Yeah, definitely. I, I was going to say Vladdy, the original, the OG was the best bad ball hitter I think I've ever seen. He could hit any pitch anywhere and hit him out too. You know, this reminds me in, in this weird haze that I'm in here today, uh, walking around Denver today. I don't know if you've all heard this Kroger, big national food brand workers going on strike workers that are outside. I live about a block and a half away from King Supers, a Kroger restaurant here in Denver all day today, out picketing outside in front of the store, cars honking and supporting them. And a lot of people saying to those people that are picketing, what can I do to support? Or what can I do to show you that I'm supporting you instead of the big corporation in Kroger? Randall, what can you do to show support for the players as they're locked out of Major League Baseball here? Well, Ronan, that's a very interesting question. Um, a lot of the players and a lot of the more vocal players, these are guys who have been making a lot more than league minimum for a couple seasons. Now these are guys who have more than millions, you know, millions. <laughs> it's funny for us only 
you know, yep. five, six, seven millions of dollars to their name. Um, I think it's maybe more for the guys who are on the 40 man roster, but maybe haven't uh, started the arbitration process yet. Guys who are uh, still making or did make league minimum last year, the year before, who maybe don't have millions of dollars to their name. I think maybe uh, kind of watch these guys in what they put out there, because it's very possible that as the season drags on, they might start needing help with kind of basic expenses. They don't have a ton of money in the bank to their name. And, you know, things are going to start piling up. These guys have families. A lot of them have children. And if we start getting to the point where major league games start being lost, you might seeing these guys start asking, you know, does anybody have a, like a coaching job open somewhere? So it's a little different than picketing grocery store workers. And of course this is a pro labor podcast, but, um, yeah, so I, I wouldn't worry about it just yet necessarily, but I would definitely keep an eye on some of the younger guys and a lot of the rookies who don't quite have as much money to their name yet and see if they start saying that they could use a, you know, a part-time job somewhere in the baseball field, amateur coaching, or if they might need help with expenses. So that's, that's what I would say to look out for. Yeah. Uh, one of I the think things you should just, just drive down the street and just honk every five honk, miles. Honk yeah. at the baseball players, <laughs> just, right. Just honk, be like, oh. hey, I'm supporting the MLBPA in the lockout. Go, go find one of these, these places that they have a membership to work out at and, and park outside and honk. And just start honking. Uh, one of the things a lot of the players are doing is sort of mimicking the image that appears now next to their bio on team websites. It's basically a blacked out silhouette of a generic baseball player's head. Randall, you could do that with your profile picture or avatar on Twitter, sort of black it out and have it you be know. the silhouette of your head. I could do that. And if I had more than one major league baseball player following me um, and I was able to show solidarity that way, I might, but Ronan, Ronan, it's funny. You say that the players are doing this thing with their, their profile pictures and blacking it out. Yeah. I think there's something that you can kind of do is I think there are a lot of people because of course the owner ownership basically controls the media narrative to this. I think if you, you come across somebody who is open to discussion and I, I certainly don't advocate replying to strangers on Twitter because that never goes well, never read the replies or the comments. But I think if you come across somebody who kind of seems genuinely unaware that this is not the players refusing to play, it's not them refusing to take a contract. I think something you can do is maybe explain to them gently and politely and, and delicately that this is a sensitive economic issue. And the players are just trying to make sure that they are paid their fair share of what is a very, very big pot of money. And I yeah. think that's something you can do that doesn't require money or labor is help educate maybe more casual fans who maybe aren't as in depth on the issues as some of us are. And you can explain to them exactly what's going on, why this is a lockout and not a strike and kind of more of the sport labor issues to it. So I think that's something you can do is don't let the owners push an incorrect narrative and especially don't let them do that to people who don't necessarily know any better. Lecture people online is what he's saying. You should all <laughs> go out and just start lecturing people online. Well, it's, it's funny, though, because they do listen to kind of national coverage of the lockout, particularly channels that aren't sports related, like NPR or Apple News or things like that. And if you heard 30 seconds of a snippet of this, it's very easy to go, oh, those players are being greedy. But it's not that way. It really is not that way at all. The owners are the problem. And here's the thing. I'm not anti-billionaires. That's a narrative that's floating around right now. I don't feel that way at all. I want owners to make money. They should profit off the teams that they've taken some level of risk to own and manage over the years. But what I want are owners to understand that owning a baseball team or any pro sports team is different than owning a normal business. You have an obligation to the city that you're in, the state that you're in, taxpayers who help build your damn ballparks. You have an obligation to try to win. That means spending money. 
I like bitching about Dick Monfort. You know how bad it could be, Jeremy? The Colorado Rockies have named the youngest son of the owner of their team, Dick Monfort. His youngest son, Sterling, is the head of their farm system. Talk about a franchise that couldn't give two shits about ever winning. It could be so much worse. That's my problem. Dick Monfort, guys like him, complete asshole. I go to the ballpark to see Charlie Blackman. I go to the ballpark to see Trevor Story and Herman Marquez. I'm there. I'm pro player. 100% a pro player. And I'm not here saying owners shouldn't make money. They should profit. Absolutely. But for God's sake, try to win. Grow the sport of baseball. You have an obligation to do that if you own one of these 30 major league franchises. And more than half of the league is not trying to win in a given season. That's a real problem to me. So I'm all player. Yeah, I agree with you. I I pretty much, I I don't have any ill will towards anybody, you know, trying to, you know, make money or any, you know, the rich or whatever. But uh, I agree with you. These are like community trusts. They're like 30 community trusts. Like they have an obligation to the people that are supporting them. Um, These are baseball teams. They're there to win. They've been around for a hundred years. They were there before these, whoever bought them uh, for the most part, like (laughs) very rare. These anybody left that, you know, was the original owner of one of these franchises. Um, And they're going to be there for a long time afterwards, hopefully, unless they drive it all to the ground. So they have an obligation, as you said. And also I'm kind of a capitalist and this whole thing is kind of like a cartel. Like the the players do just like they deserve, you know, what's rightfully theirs in my opinion. So like if I thought the the owners were getting screwed by the players, I'd, I'd probably feel differently, but I, I don't feel that. I feel the owners are coming in and just, you know, seeing it as a cash grab and taking all the cash out <laughs> when there's an obligation there. So that's how I feel as well. And, you know, it could be worse. I mean, but it could also be, you know, like we'll probably talk about this later where you could have an owner or a chairman of your team who says like, <laughs> all things are good with me because my mom says I'm doing a great job. Oh, so, for God's sake. <laughs> wait, hey, ownership ownership in the board says I'm doing a great job, Mr. George McCaskey. Well, whose ownership, George? His mom. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. The Chicago You're not wrong. Bears. No, 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 no. Tell me wrong. The Chicago Bears are the Colorado Rockies of the NFL. Well, here's the difference no. between that. I actually think that George McCaskey wants to win football games. I think George McCaskey loves the Chicago Bears. I think he wants to be a winner. I think... He's a huge fan. I just think he's totally incompetent because he has, and the whole family is incompetent because they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. The, the bears have been around for decades and decades and decades at this point, the bears are poorly run. I freely admit, but they are also uh, a brand in the third largest media market in the country. They are not the Colorado Rockies. I've heard the comparison made that the bears are the NFL Mets. And I hate that comparison because uh, again, Ron Tanzo taught me better than that. But sometimes I do have to agree with it. They are an indefatigable brand. They are a brand that makes money, but they are just so poorly run. So I'm not I'm not endorsing the Mets here, but I, I would say that's a better comparison than calling them the, the NFL Rockies. Incompetence and nepotism. And I guarantee the next general manager for the Colorado Rockies is going to be Sterling Monfort. After a couple of years of whatever the hell he's going to be doing with this farm system, he will earn that promotion. The Rockies will never win a division title. They're not going to win a World Series. And they'll still draw 2.7 or close to 3 million fans here at beautiful Coors Field every year. And Dick Monfort will sit on his pile of money over in McGregor Square. Uh, Last week on the show, we talked about MLB TV. And Jeremy, you disappointed me last week because I was bitching again about Dick Monfort. And instead of supporting me, you instantly said, oh, Ronan, well, I can watch it. So I went on after the show 
to MLB.TV on my computer and my MLB.TV app on the Roku, which is primarily where I watch it. And I did see, in fact, you cannot watch MLB Network, no live stream. They have some preloaded shows and things that you can watch, but there is no live stream on MLB.TV or the Roku app. You are right. However, there is a live stream on the phone app. And I just checked a little before the show because I knew I'd seen it somewhere. And it is there. There is an app. But I do think you have to have a cable account to watch it. But if you go on the at bad app, you can watch it on your phone. Okay. And well, you know, I able... needed your support last week. You're you right. Shot me down. I'm sorry. I should have supported you more, Ronan. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you think it's a little weird that Ronan would investigate this thing after last week's podcast and then come back a week later and say, no, you were wrong. If the man finds out you were wrong about anything, he 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 is like a shark with the one blood <laughs> drop of blood in the, the ocean of salt water. He will find it and he will remind you about it for years to come. So a, a week, a week is not a particularly long time to uh, check this out at all. Well, hey, I'm both- striving. Oh, I was going to say I'm striving to have a more supportive 2022 Ronan. So I will support you and Randall in the future. I, I think I'm doing a service to everybody because yeah. both of you are normally very precise, very, very precise. So you get a little sloppy. Someone's got to be there to point it hey, out. I'm, I'm all for it. Happy to be first in line for it. Uh, some good news, though, about MLB TV. I had a lot of fun watching this over the last couple of days. They're now broadcasting select Dominican Winter League baseball games. This is very, very cool. I was watching a game earlier today. Robert Flores on the play-by-play. He's been a veteran broadcaster, been with ESPN, been with MLB Network. Former Cub Carlos Pena as the analyst on the broadcast. It is a remote broadcast. So the play-by-play broadcasters are here stateside. All of the graphics in the game are in Spanish. So seeing the pitcher come into the game and where it would normally say strikeouts, walks, ERA, innings pitched, all of that in Spanish. In fact, when the game started, it showed the degrees in Celsius. And Robert Flores goes, oh, my God, what, what does this mean? It's like 26. Is it hot? What, what temperature? It was about 75 degrees. Whatever that is in Celsius is what it was at first pitch. Anyway. They put the graphic up to the start of the ball game. It was the uh, Tigers versus Tigres. the Tigres. I'm sorry. Yeah, Tigres. Tigres versus the Gigantes. 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 Okay. Tigres Goodness. versus the Gigantes. Randall should be setting this up. Gigantes. They put the graphic up that shows the defense, the defensive alignment. So it would have been the Tigres team, I believe. Listen to these names. What's really cool about the Dominican Winter League is you've got former major league players, current major league players, and future major league players all playing at the same time down in the Dominican Republic. So starting in left field, former White Sox outfielder Nomar Mazzara was with the team, uh, kind of a disappointing stint with the Major League Chicago White Sox. Center fielder, former Cub great Emilio Bonifacio out in center field. Current Cub infielder Sergio Alcantara was the starting shortstop in the game. The DH, the former White Sox, your men Mercedes. The pitcher, someone who I think will be in the major leagues and very productive, Albert Abreu, manager Jose Offerman. You're talking about an interesting collection of players. This is what MLB Network should be doing. Give us more of these international games. I thought it was very cool that they made that available and something that you could watch and take in here stateside. Yeah, I love the Latin uh, winter leagues because they're very fun. It's a completely different atmosphere uh, than you have in, in uh, the States. And uh, actually, I saw an art- some, a quote from Shohei Otani the other day. This is about Japan, but I think it works well with the Latin uh, leagues. Was He commented about people were, you know, talking about baseball is dying. And he said, well, baseball, you know, that's a very American-centric 
point of view, because if you look at all these other countries, people love baseball and in Japan, it's huge. And, and I think that goes as well for like the Dominican and Venezuela and all these Latin winter leagues that like, it's a very fun atmosphere down there. And so they're very fun games to watch. Mm-hmm. While we're discussing winter leagues, Ron, and this is a, a natural place for me to drop this in here, the Australian baseball league, which is a, a recognized winter league, uh, adjacent to Major League Baseball, uh, set a little bit of history in the past week, uh, where they had 17-year-old Genevieve Beacom, age, again, age 17, she pitched for the Melbourne Aces of the Australian Baseball League. She's a 17-year-old young woman. She hopes to pitch collegiately in the United States. She is left-handed. She throws 84 with a change-up and a curve, and she's pitching to professional hitters down there in the Australian Baseball League. So that is very neat to see. She's breaking barriers, and she hopes to do so collegiately uh, in the United States sooner versus later. Well, that's a great story, Randall, and also seeing the first female manager in the New York Yankees system going to be managing games next year. This is very exciting for baseball. The sport is changing. The sport's evolving. It's growing. This goes back to what we were talking about ownership. If you are not in this for more than just making money, you've got to be in this for growing the sport globally. I was reading that the NBA is looking at their next billion dollar market internationally is India. They're like, okay, if we can get into India, there's a lot of people there. There's cities that are doing well. This could be a lucrative market for us moving forward. Major League Baseball has sort of flirted with trying to turn some of those cricket players into the next great baseball player. I want to see Major League Baseball be more aggressive in places like India and elsewhere. Let's truly make this the global game that I think we all know it's capable of being. There was a movie about it and everything. John Hamm was in it. It wasn't very good. Uh, That sounds awful. I didn't see that one, which is probably pretty good. But you you didn't miss anything. You'd think that there there are baseball players all over the world if they can just be exposed to the sport. That next great player is out there, maybe in a place like India, if the sport can get to them. That would be very exciting. Yeah, like it ran out, that that movie is based on a true story. And uh, oh, I know it's based on a true story. I, no, I remember I, I the wasn't two... saying you didn't know. I'm just saying, just saying in general. Uh, um, and you know, they tried, unfortunately, but the pirates did not make it through. But uh, you know, they had two million dollar lucky arms that came were able I, to come to the states. I remember those two individuals uh, very well, actually, uh, at the time. I was actually in a, a college class about um, uh, Eastern Eastern countries, and I actually did a presentation on uh, national or I'm sorry, Nippon professional baseball. And uh, at the tail end of that, I included two other uh, pitchers to have come out of South Asia. That, of course, being uh, Rinku Singh and the other individual that he uh, and Dinesh Vamping, Patel, as he looks it up. <laughs> yeah. Rinku Singh and Dinesh Patel, uh, both of whom were signed by the Pirates, as Jeremy said, neither of them made the major leagues, but they were in the Pirates minor league system for a time. So there is all the potential in the world to bring baseball elsewhere in the world to to countries where it is not necessarily the ingrained sport that it is. There's a professional league in Italy. There are uh, professional leagues across Europe that get very little fanfare. Um and you see it with the, the the World Baseball Classic when we get one of those again, when COVID abates enough to get one of those again, that there are countries that we don't think of as producing baseball players that are able to put together enough of a team to compete. And that's one of the reasons I like those early rounds and those qualifiers for the World Baseball Classic. It's neat to see uh, teams from some of these countries like Great Britain put together a baseball team and compete on some level. Well, the NFL is aggressively looking at Germany as that next stop in Europe for putting regular season NFL games 
What's interesting about that too is that they've cited obviously viewership of NFL games and things like the Super Bowl, but Madden sales in a place like Germany. It's a very, very popular game that they purchased there. They're trying to bring the NFL there. I hope these owners are thinking big picture that way and really aggressively looking at those different markets in Latin America, in Asia, in South America, in uh, Europe to bring the sport of baseball. We know the Cubs and the Cardinals were looking at playing a game in London before this stupid pandemic kind of delayed that. But this is a good sign to see. And, I, and maybe we'll have, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years from now, a Major League Baseball team outside of North America competing and playing against the Chicago Cubs every year. Who knows where this is going with time? Well, let's talk about time. Gets away from us all. Sad day here as one of the great players in Chicago Cubs history, Major League Baseball history, announced this morning that he is retiring from the great sport of baseball. John Lester, parts of 16 seasons in Major League Baseball. He was with Boston, a couple World Series is there. Oakland won a World Series with the Cubs in 2016, wrapped it up with Washington, and then something happened after that. It, it, I don't know. I'm sort of blacked out with where his career ended. Let's start with this. Are either of you surprised that John Lester decided that this was the right time to bring the career home? No, I'm not surprised one bit. We knew that his signing with uh, Washington was was a, a one-year, see if you have something left in the tank deal. And he, of course, dealt with some physical issues. He had a COVID diagnosis early in the season. It, it doesn't surprise me at all. And his reasoning that he gave in his interview, it sums it up pretty succinctly, where he said he doesn't want to be told that he can't play anymore. He wants he, he knows what his body is telling him at this point. He wants to hand his jersey over now and leave on his own terms. And you, you can't fault him for that one bit. Some guys scratch and claw to get that one last inning in the major leagues. So all props to Lester for just recognizing what his body is telling him and saying it's time to hang it up. A, a, a hell of a career for a hell of a pitcher. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I thought he might hang it up last year. I, I wasn't sure he was going to come back this year because, um, you know, you look at the end of his Cubs career, he, he wasn't that good in a Cubs uniform, especially in 2020, not so much in 2019. Uh, he'd been kind of faltering towards the end. And in 2021, he, he, he pitched pretty, you know, heroically, I would say, for that team down south uh, in their epic run to the playoffs. But he was not good last year either. So it doesn't surprise me. I, I mean, I could be the one to tell John that I'm sorry, but you, you didn't have it, man. You, you got to retire. Jeremy, I would love to see you go up to John Lester <laughs> yeah. and then tell him that John, I would, yeah, I you, will. You would. Okay. Uh, you know, it's funny. If you lay out the team abbreviations for the teams he played for the last tour was STL. I mean, he previously was St. Louis, but no longer is St. Louis. Fortunately for all of us. If John Lester's out there and he wants to hang out or talk or have a conversation, I will be more than happy to hang out and accept his call or whatever. And just, and I'll, I'll work it in. I'll say, Hey, John, you can't play anymore. Well, what a story though, from start to finish in his career, the obstacles that he overcame on and off the field, a couple of world series championships in Boston, another one with Chicago. I mean, if you were creating a storyline of, okay, you're going to be a major league baseball player. You're going to have a long career over parts of 16 years. He won 200 big league games. He struck out nearly 2,500 big league batters. Think about the accomplishment that that takes with the quality of hitters that there are in the sport, but to go to Boston and Chicago and win world series championships, that that's the top. As far as I'm concerned, a lot of people like the Yankees. I get that the Dodgers, to play for Boston and the Cubs and to win world championships in both of those cities, that's the peak. 
great career. Obviously, you know, he dealt with the cancer issue and then he came back from Boston from then he threw a no hitter. I remember watching that game. It was remarkable. And I, I was a big John Lester fan when he was in Boston and I was so happy when he came to Chicago and, you know, he mentored a young Anthony Rizzo when, when Rizzo was a, a Red Sox prospect facing the cancer issues that he had, he faced. And so just really a remarkable career. And he was a big game pitcher in the playoffs. Like I, he was one of the best postseason pitchers we've seen. And we've seen a lot more, you know, as the playoffs have expanded over time, but John Lester was a dominant postseason pitcher and he, he was great. And, you know, he had that one kind of game in Oakland that maybe things didn't work out for him, but he was great with the Cubs. He was great in Boston. And so it should be interesting to see where he rates as a, you know, a legacy type player. Cause he wasn't, I, I, I don't think we should overlook postseason success as much as we do. And to that point, Jeremy, uh, 251 career postseason ERA in the World Series, a 177 ERA. You know, that's a smaller sample size, obviously, but you, you can't underrate or you can't overrate a guy who is able to go out there in the postseason and who's able to reliably pitch for you. And I said during the 2016 season, and somebody can go go search this up, I said that when the Cubs do eventually reach the mountaintop, they are going to have John Lester to thank for a great deal of that. And, you know, I was really going out on a limb there. Cubs will thank good pitcher when they win the <laughs> World Series. But I, I said, you need a guy with the kind of steel that John Lester has. The yeah. Cubs did need that. They got that. And it paid every bit of dividend you could have hoped for. Well, that gets into something I think that's a really good point, Randall. When we were coming up with our rundown for the show for this week, you sort of offered to Jeremy and I, come in with your favorite John Lester memory. Bring that in here. Wonderful pitching performances, the oppo, for, uh, home run, all that great stuff that he did in his career. I want to start, though. And I hope this isn't a cop-out. I'm a little bit self-conscious that Jeremy's going to say I'm copping out with this answer. My favorite John Lester memory is him signing with the Cubs because of everything that it represented. You got to remember it was the end of 2014. Javi was up. Hendricks was in the rotation. Arietta was in the rotation. Multiple guys that were going to be a part of the bullpen. Jorge Soler, like lots of guys that would be on that World Series team were up. The Cubs had the minor league player of the year in Chris Bryant. We knew he was going to be up in 2015. What the Cubs needed to go over that hump from 2014 to 15, and then what came after that was an ace. And they got the best possible player that they could have gotten in John Lester. Theo and Jed sold him on the plan, on the vision. They got him to Wrigley Field. Three straight trips to the Final Four, a pennant in a World Series. John Lester is the most important free agent signing in Chicago sports history. That's my favorite John Lester memory. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's cop-out because I was going to say the same thing, although I, I might quibble with you on the most important. I mean, yeah, it was important. Winning the World Series in, in Chicago is very obviously a big. I, I, Marion Hosa is another great freaking signing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. So now I'm thinking I'm just going to go straight to, like, the end of 2015 where he had some dominant starts against the Pirates to really solidify, you know, putting the Cubs into the playoffs. Because you, if you remember, a lot of people, you know, kind of overlooked this, I feel like, but – at the start in April and May of 2015, there were a lot of people out there that were full outrage mode, you know, like the contract is horrible, all these things. We paid $150 million for a guy who can't throw to first. This guy stinks. Like he needs to have his own special pitcher. What are we doing with the, or excuse me, catcher? What are we doing with all this? And he struggled. But in the second half of 2015, he was a dominant pitcher. And that lasted all through 2016 into 2017, had a great 2018 uh, so yeah, that's the John Lester. I remember him just starting to come around and dominating in the second half of 2015. 
Yeah, you know, I think if you go back and look at some of the names pushing that narrative in early 2015 that he was a, a bust <laughs> of a signing, I can't imagine anyone will be surprised with any of those names. I will give my favorite John Lester moments as, you know, you guys capture the, the aura, the aura of his pitching. I'm going to go with him at the plate. John Lester, <laughs> a professional hitter. He has three career home runs, and all three of them are to the opposite field. I'm blessed enough to have been in attendance for one of those home runs, one of those great things. One of those great things that you well, you only had three chances to see in all of recorded history. And I managed to see one of them, his, uh, his walk-off bunt against mm -hmm. the Mariners, the yeah. Sunday night game in 2016, he goes up there with the high socks, the, the Dan Shulman call with two strikes, Lester gets the bunt down, just a guy who went out there and did his very best. And we, we remember how he started his career at the plate over 60, whatever. And then he gets his first single and he proves to be a half decent hitter. Not a great hitter, especially even as pitchers go, but a guy, if he, if he makes contact, it goes pretty well. And, you know, reminds me of him uh, lining a double into the gap with David Ross on first. Poor Ross has to come chugging all the way around from first. Dugout catches Ross in the, or the camera catches Ross in the dugout gasping for air. So, yeah, I'll, I'll remember John Lester at the plate. Uh, a professional hitter is what he was. He was a professional hitter. Yeah, I got a, I got a John Lester home run as well. So Did you uh, see D-backs or Pirates? I want to say I saw Deba. It was a blowout yeah. game, and yeah. it was 2017 or 18, and 2017 against 2017. The okay, that's his first was, career home run. Yeah, then I think I might have been at that one. I remember, um, John, I remember Len Casper shouting, "He's done it! He's yeah. done it!" He and he did it before Lackey. Yeah, um, he he. You mentioned the 0 for 63, but John Lester. Every time I saw him take a hack, he always had like an athletic cut. He didn't look like a guy who couldn't hit. He looked like a guy who could take a swing. And so some of that probably was, you know, American League pitchers only get one, two, three plate appearances like a year. So that, that just builds up on each other over time. So when he, you know, he could hit when he came to the Cubs and finally faced it. Yeah. But like I said, that game against the Mariners, you mentioned, obviously getting the full chalk in the face, eyes burning. <laughs> uh, that was another fun game. Well, he was handed number 34. That's a number that we know means so much to Chicago Cubs history. He wore it with honor, wore it with pride. His teammates had nothing bad to say about John Lester, the Cubs manager, David Ross, saying if you were to make, if you were to put like all these genes and DNA in a pit and carve out a major league baseball player, John Lester is who you want. Everything about him, the way he treats his teammates, the philanthropy that he does off the field. I mean, everything that he does, he is the consummate pro. John Lester was the man. And I'll say this, 15, 16, 17, very satisfying as a Cubs fan in terms of many, many rewarding wins over St. Louis in that time. You got to also think of the pickoff in 2017. Tommy fans, 20 feet off first base. The Cardinals broadcaster saying, keep going. He's not going to throw over there. He's not going to throw over there. Boom, throw to Rizzo. Fam's picked off. Those moments still give me chills. I love it. And anytime you beat St. Louis, it feels good. John Lester, pour one out for him. A hell of a career. Fare thee well, John Lester. And now we can... Pretend that he was never a Cardinal or forget that he was a Cardinal. Already forgotten. To the North side. Yeah. We love John Lester, though. He was uh, one of the greats. And yeah, you bring up a good point, Jeremy. Marion Hosa. I don't think when I think of Chicago sports, hockey doesn't come to mind for right. me. Not my fault. The Wirtz family really messed that up. They had a chance to get my attention in the 90s, and they punted that. Uh, but I do think John Lester, what he walked into, the Cubs, 108 years, all that, bringing a World Series home. That's my argument for the best free agent signing in Chicago sports history. Well, Jeremy, you were getting ready to do this show. There was a possibility you were going to be hosting tonight. You put together some trivia for us. I You're did. being 
very, very vague with Randall and I. Randall and I, I just want to know the theme. You never shared it. So what are we getting into tonight? You prepared some trivia for oh, the pod. I thought it might the theme might be a little obvious. It's a special pod, so it's got to have a special trivia. So I decided before this, when I was looking up, I was going to look up, you know, see some baseball players that were born on January 13th, you know, mm. for the special day tomorrow. And so, R- Randall, I, you might know these because I assume you're uh, a big January 13th guy. But do you know? You know, Jeremy, actually nobody coming to mind. So I'm really? going in blind on this. I was going to hmm. say, do you know what Cubs pitcher, former Cubs pitcher, shares a birthday January 13th? Someone in your lifetime. So someone give, in my lifetime. All right. If you, oh, if you don't know, okay, I'll, go, I'll, I'll start. I'm yeah. just going to start off. This Cubs yeah. pitcher pitched from, 19, Ronan might get it. This Cubs pitcher pitched from 1994 to 1998 for the Cubs. So that's that's right in Rowan's wheelhouse there, 94 to 98. Starting pitcher. Starting pitcher. And a fan favorite, at least on this pot. Would this, it wouldn't be Steve Traxel, would it? It's not Steve Traxel. Rowan, right. do you have any guesses? Oh, I thought Randall was going to keep going. No, oh. no, that's, I'm, I'm just, that's my one guess. All you, all you. 1994 to 1998. The whole time? Yeah, as a Cub. Oh, okay. The whole time as a Cub. Well, he pitched more uh, for other teams, but that's he was not Cub from '94 to '98. A Cubs starting pitcher from '94 to '98. Uh, and that was also the most of his career, primarily. That was most of his career. So I'm thinking of the '98 rotation, or it could be a relief pitcher. It's a ah, starter. It's a starter. It's a starter. Okay. It's a starter. So, so I'm thinking of the '98 rotation. Uh, obviously, Wood was in the rotation, not him. Uh, obviously Kevin Tappany was in the rotation, not him. It wasn't Steve Traxel, Mark Clark. No, 98, no. See, 98 is the wrong year to be thinking. He was on the team in 98. He did not pitch very much in 98. If he did not pitch 90, um, Jeremy Gonzalez. Nope. It's a fan favorite. I'll, if you, you want more hints or do you want me to tell you guys? Cause I'll give it. Cause it's, it's, he's the theme of the pod. He is the theme of oh, the, the trivia. Pod. I mean, the trivia. Was Frank Castillo still around in '98? No, I'm, he's unfortunately he's no longer with us. Uh, I, got, either, I got nothing here, Jeremy. Kevin How Foster. Yes, Kevin, Kevin Foster, Foster was on the '98 Cubs. He pitched three relief appearances, and they were not oh, good. Wow. He had like a nine ERA or something. Uh, but yes, Kevin no Foster is a January 13th birthday. He shares it with uh, Randall J. Sanders. So I thought, you know, let's look back a little bit at Kevin Foster's career. So Kevin Foster's best season actually was his first season in 1994 on the 1994 Cubs. There would later be our four players on the 1994 Cubs would end up doing Cubs broadcast TV. Who are those four players? Uh, okay. All right. Um, Dave Otto. Yes. I thought he'd Dave be the artist. Otto. Dave Otto is one. Ryan Sandberg. Yep. Ryan Sandberg two um, have done Cubs TV and radio or just TV. Well, I'm, I'm doing TV and I, and okay. by TV, I'm talking about both like in game and pre and post in game and pre and post. All right. So we've in- got, we've got Otto, we've got Sandberg talking about the 94 Cubs who on that roster ended up being a Cubs broadcaster mm-hmm. for my count. There's four. Well, this is, this is a good question, Jeremy. These are some quality questions you're throwing at us here. I mean, did, was Joe Carter on the 84 Cubs or 94 Cubs? No, Joe Carter was two. not on the 94 no, Cubs. I, that's I, what I was thinking too, Ronan, but. Uh, Dave Otto. I mean, I would imagine. Uh, you know, I say I have no memory of the 94 Cubs. I, that's well, I mean, one of them is a pretty big player in the 90s for the Cubs. 
Grace? <laughs> yeah, I would Mark okay. Grace, right? Oh, yeah, you I, count I, Mark Grace. Sure. All right. Is doing so Cubs TV. Grace, Otto, Sandberg, and and this wait, last wait. guy I would say has been done more nationally or big become a bigger name as a police as yeah, please Dan, Dan okay. Plesak. Dan Plesak. Okay. Um, yeah, so those four Cubs. So I, I thought that would be one of the users. So Kevin Foster hit one career home run. Mm. Okay. Do we have any guesses now? Like it's probably an obvious spot, but do we have any guesses where that career home run occurred? And it's not Wrigley. Uh, I'm going to guess Milwaukee. No, oh, it's out Milwaukee. there. In, uh, oh, do you want me to tell you where? I, I saw guess you're both wrong. It is out there in Denver, Colorado. And I believe 1995, he hit a ball out in Coors Field in a game where the Cubs, it was just a high scoring game. Uh, do you guys have any guesses as to what, like how many strike his career high in strikeouts was for a single game? Like any guess on that? I'm guessing the answer is not 22 because it's not that 22. Be a, yeah. That would be two on the nose and also be would a be major 13? league baseball record. Would it be Randall 13? is right. He wow. struck out 13 Cardinals in 19. Yeah, it's in that whole theme of the trivia, Jeremy. Kevin Foster got trivia. a 13. All right. Kevin Foster started the first ever Cubs White Sox interleague game. Ronan, oh. do you have any memories of that game or Randall? Either of you? Yes. Um, the Cubs lost that game. It was on the south side of Chicago. Uh, no, they won. Well, they it was on won. the Oh. It was on the south side of Chicago. On the side, yeah, I remember game. it was at Sox Park. Oh, I wasn't there. I think Connor and my dad were, and I thought that they came home to a loss, but I guess it was a win. It was an 8-3 win. Cubs actually went up 5-0. Mm-hmm. It was a big game. It was it was a day game. I remember they wore these old-timey jerseys. That's right. Um, do you guys have any idea who the opposing pitcher was in that game, and he was a former Cub? So this is 1997. 1997. And he, and he was a former Cub. June is not Frank Castillo. June sixteenth, nineteen ninety seven. It was an eight uh, three yeah. Cubs victory. I know it. I know it. Pitching for the White Sox. Yep. You know, I do not have any guesses here. Uh, so this is this is going to be all Ronan. I think my my name is similar. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> maybe not. Um, I mean, maybe in your brain. I not, I don't see how it's similar in my brain. <laughs> I know I should know this. I I can I I it's not coming to me, but yeah. Jamie Navarro. Jamie Navarro. Yeah, yeah. Frank Castillo, Jamie Navarro. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna give you guys five former Cubs pitchers who have, and I'm only talking about in terms of career wins for the Cubs. I want you to tell me which pitchers you think have had more career wins, which pitchers maybe about the same, and which pitchers you think have had less. Okay, so these are the five pitchers are Jose Quintana, Jason Hamill, Sean Marshall. Travis Wood and Jeff Samarja in a Cubs uniform. Most career. Wait, wins. whoa, 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 whoa! Hold on, hold on. So in a Cubs uniform, or I could, I could, I could just ask you individually. Like, do you think they had more or less? If you, if you prefer that, I don't understand the question. Okay, so Kevin Foster had a certain amount of wins, right? Uh, okay. Which, so I'm gonna. Give, so there's five. I'll just ask individually. I feel like that'll be easier. Do you think Jose Quintana had more or less wins than Kevin Foster? In his career go with, or as a cub? Just as a cub. Just as a cub. I'm going to go with fewer. 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 That is actually incorrect. Cozy Quintana wow. had 33 wow. career wins. Kevin Foster had 32 wins. All right. So How about Quintana. Jason Hamill? Do you think he had more or less? I'm going to go fewer. with. I'm going to go with more. more. Randall is right. Jason Hamill wow. also had 33 career wins. Sean Marshall. Do you think he had more or less? Fewer. And uh, fewer. Fuck for, it. More. 
Nope. Either both are wrong. Sean Marshall had 32 career wins, the same amount as mm. which is an option. Travis Wood, more or less. More. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with less for Travis Wood because he didn't necessarily start his whole time with the Cubs. Once again, Travis Wood, 32 career wins. Wow. Kevin that, that Foster, be 32 the career wins. That's the Jeff number Samarja, for the man lefties. More or less. I'm gonna go with more because Samarja was a starting pitcher for the Cubs for a long time. You know what? It's Randall's birthday. We'll go more. More. <sighs> Incorrect. Jeff Samarja only had 31 career wins. Wow. Kevin Foster had 32 wins, as I said, in a Cubs uniform. So I just thought that was some neat little Kevin Foster trivia because Kevin Foster is a January 13th guy, and I think we should yeah. honor him as much as we honor Randall tomorrow. Well, do we know of any other historic January 13th birthdays? I was looking them up. There, there's not really that many like Cub ones. I didn't look up like just historic general. I'm January talking. 13th. I'm not talking Cubs. I'm saying presidents. Governors, musicians, what's Randall into? Uh, uh, voice actors that appear in animated films. Oh, yeah. You know, anybody born on January 13th? I have this list in front of me, and there's some names jumping out at me. Uh, Orlando Bloom, great actor, Pirates of the Caribbean, some names that aren't quite as celebrated. I share a birthday with Nate Silver. Not sure I want that on my conscience right now. Uh, Andrew Yang, guy. I, Andrew Yang. Oh, I got a yeah. good one. I got a good one. Randall's, I'm sorry, Jeremy's hero, the man at the helm of Jeremy's football program, Brett Bielema, Ginger Z. We've also Weather got uh, Nikolai Habibulin, former Blackhawks goalie. Um, yeah, so the Julia Louis Dreyfus, great actress. Hmm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some names on here with distinction and some names on here. Um, with less distinction. So um, like Bob Brenly once famously said, um, seems like every day somebody's got a birthday. I'm surprised uh, Randall, not a big Nate Silver guy, when Nate Silver made all those contributions to uh, baseball prospectus. And he the... did, and then he became a, a scorching white hot take artist. And there are just too many <laughs> scorching white hot take artists out there right now. That's, Randall, yeah, this is episode number 52 of the podcast and a lot of players have worn number 52 in Cubs history, Pete Elko, the first back in 1944, Ryan to most recently a year ago, 52, sort of an odd number. You kind of see it with relief pitchers in terms of baseball history. Is there anyone in your lifetime watching Cubs baseball, Randall, that stood out to you as a 52? Yeah. Justin Grimm, a great relief pitcher for the world champion, 2016 Chicago Cubs. He was a number 52, Steve Traxel, Previously mentioned in earlier in this episode, it was a 52 in his brief return to the Cubs at the tail end of the 2007 season. Uh, Jeff Stevens, I believe one of the pitchers they got back for Mark DeRosa was a 52. Carlos Silva was a 52. Who could forget Carlos Silva, the big, big pitcher? I'd like to. Yeah, I'd like to forget Carlos Silva. <laughs> exactly. Sergio Mitre was a 52 before his life took an absolutely terrible turn. And Ronan, this is a name you alluded to uh, on last week's show is Pat Mahomes Sr., the Major League Baseball player in his time as a Chicago Cub, was a number 52. Uh, his son obviously has made a name for himself in a slightly different number, slightly different sport, wearing number 15, but Pat Mahomes Sr., number 52 in his time as a Cub for the 2002 Chicago Cubs. I go back a little bit earlier. The 90s had multiple 52s that were big. Jim Bullinger, a pitcher who could swing the bat a little bit for multiple seasons, Ramon Tatis, part of a family of baseball players in 97. Here's one we like to forget. Matt Karchner, 
98, 99, 2000. Woof, the Cubs really missed there. Here's a name I don't remember. It sounds like a kangaroo blog, Randall. Joey Nation in 2000. I don't know who or what Joey Nation is, but he wore 52 for the Cubs in my lifetime. Well, you got to be careful because Joey, the Joey Nation spread all over the country. Fans of Joey, uh, they're going to come after you. So be real careful what you say about Joey Nation. They're a voracious bunch. Yeah, I, I, that name kind of rings a bell. I don't recall which player that is, but the name for me that sticks out is, uh, well, first of all, the name for me that sticks out is Jen Ho Sang. I feel like we've talked about, I don't know if this was an anti-Osprey podcast or a pro-Osprey podcast, but that's a name that needs to be talked about. And uh, Eduardo Sanchez, I don't know if you mentioned that. I don't know who that is. That is the one name on here that I have like don't recall hearing at all, although it sounds common enough to be a baseball player. Uh, back in 1950, the Cubs had a coach, one of Randall's guys, Spud Davis, big potato guy uh, over the years there. Um, I'm excited for 53 next week. And I'm excited for 53 next week because we get to talk about Dick Mountain as a Chicago Cub. That's going to be a chat worth listening to. Before we move on, Jeremy, I do want to absolve Jen Hote saying of any bird-related crimes here. You're confusing him with Jay Cook U, who well, did, in right. fact... Wow, my bad. Wow. You're pitching in the Florida wow. State. Yeah, no, saying was from Taiwan. Jacob Rue is from South Korea. That That's is cor- my that total is correct. So I just mistake. To- I've you know, I'm horrible. You can send all your hate mail to me. I'll, I just I'll want to it. absolve Jen Hote saying of any bird related right. crimes here. Cause that, that is a, that is a state crime. You're right. Um, that is a state crime. So Jen Hote saying you're in the clear. You have not committed any acts against birds that we are aware of. It was a hyphenated name that did me in. I see. And the J. Well, here's some good news. We'll shift off the Cubs here. Chicago Bears need a new head coach and general manager. Last time we were saying Hub Arkish, Randall's guy, had a story out there that Ryan Pace was not only not going to be fired, but possibly promoted and kept within the organization. Good riddance, boys. I wanted this about a year too late here for Matt Nagy's firing, but not that I have faith they're going to hire the right people, but at least for now, Pace and Nagy are out and there's hope that things may be turning around for the Bears. Do we have any favorites, anybody in mind that you want to see the Bears hire in either of these roles? Yeah, I'm a big Omar Khan guy out of the Steelers organization because he is very well regarded as a, a, a guy who is uh, current in the, the state of football. And something the Bears are desperately in need of is an updating of that front office. What they need is to create a president of football operations position and really modernize that front office. And what if, what I've seen from what Omar Khan did in the Steelers organization, I think he would absolutely be the right name to oversee that modernization and get this front office out of the 80s. So that's my name for general manager. For me, I uh, for general for GM or whatever position you want to give him. Um, there's a guy out there in Cleveland that I think is pretty interesting, and I, I don't. If I butcher his name, I'm sorry. I don't know, but I think his name is Queasy Mens- uh, Adolfo Mensa, and mm-hmm. he's a former basketball player at Princeton. He was an economics. He has an economics MBA from Stanford. He was the director of football research for the San Francisco 49ers, and he's currently the vice president of football operations for the Cleveland Browns. And he just seems like a very uh, intriguing candidate to me because a lot of these candidates, they all came from the same background. They're all came up through scouting, former players. They're, you know, first they were a scout and then they were like the director of scouting and then they were the vice president of player personnel. They all have the same exact, you know, resume. And I think it's interesting to get a guy who, 
has a completely different resume. And I've looked up some of his like things. And I saw a quote the other day from him about how he had a quote about how he believes in winning on the margins. And that like speaks to my heart. Cause all I ever talk about is how you have to win on the margins. It's so important to win on the margins. You upgrade everywhere you want. You just want to be able to make sure everything you do is just a little bit better on uh, whether it's like acquiring bench talent or just every move you make, it's just trying to acquire a little bit better than the previous. And so that's an interesting name to me. There's another name, not to go too in depth, but I should mention just for the Cleveland Browns itself, who is a former, there's a cup connection, a former Cubs farmhand. Hmm. He's been, he was actually interviewed today, Glenn Cook, who was a former football player at the University of Miami. He was drafted by the Cubs in the 46th round in 2009, played one season for the uh, Arizona Complex League Cubs, was absolutely terrible, didn't really play baseball in college, quit went straight into football in terms of, right? So there is a Cubs connection out there. So if Glenn Cook does get the job, I'll, I'll root for him because he is a former Cub. Well, they definitely needed a change. No question about that. And here's where I'm at with it. Every time the Bears fire a GM or hire a new coach, you hear the same thing from the media. It's a coveted job. All the top names want it. Of course they do. One, it's an NFL head coaching or GM job. Two, it's Chicago. Of course it's going to be a coveted job. So here's where I'm torn. One, I have zero faith, especially after that press conference earlier in the week, that there's anybody inside Hallis Hall or down at Soldier Field who has any idea what they're doing. So they're probably going to screw it up again. The only thing that gives me hope is, you know, the Bulls, wholly incompetent for the last 20 years, invested some money in their scouting, went out and hired a competent GM, got a professional head coach, and look how quickly they've turned into one of the best teams in the East. So there's hope for the Bears. If they can get out of their own way, spend some money, bring in some talent, you can win football games here in Chicago. Can and, this and, ownership group do it? I don't know. Yeah, and here, here, here's the where that works for you, the fact that they're incompetent. <laughs> it's kind of weird. And I think this might even help with you know the Bulls as well. Is like You know that these people have no idea what they're doing. So if they hire you, you're basically the guy. You get yeah. to, you're in full control of everything for the most part. They're loyal. They stick with you no matter what they don't, you know, whatever. So you got, you just get the keys to like, uh, you know, the bears, like Ryan Pace had the keys. He could do no wrong for seven seasons. He got two quarterbacks to trade for uh, up in the draft. He got two coaches to hire. He got, and he was almost reportedly, you know, it was like a 50, 50 chance whether he was going to come back or not. Uh, and the, the, the bears talk and George McCassie talks about how he loves Ryan Pace, like a son. So like, if you're the guy, you like, that would be intriguing to me. Like I, you know, these guys might be incompetent. They don't know what they're doing, but I know they're not going to really get in my way. I'm going to have so much opportunity and I can take over the bears. So that's a place where their incompetence kind of helps you out when you're trying to hire people. Now it just comes down to picking the right person and hiring the right guy. Yeah. Jeremy, you make a, uh, you make a good point that, what this ownership can do is they can stay out of the way and that's really all you can hope for because as soon as they start making decisions it's gonna it's gonna go poorly and if the bears have one advantage here over the other teams that are now looking for new coach new front office at the bears is still a prestige job and you and not as only is it a prestige job but you have your franchise quarterback already in place this should be an attractive job if you go to the minnesota who's looking for a gm and a coach now if you go to new york giants who's looking who are looking for a coach now you win a title there it's going to be forgotten in a week if you win 
a, a Super Bowl in. I don't know about Chicago. that. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be especially forgotten. Minnesota. Yeah, I don't think they'll Vikings will forget it. I'm just title. okay. Well, Vikings, who, Vikings fans, they do the skull thing and they they wear the horned helmets. <laughs> who cares what they think? I'm just saying the the kicker for the 1985 Chicago Bears still has a car deal, still has car endorsement deals in this town. If you win a Super Bowl as a member of the Chicago Bears, you will be deified. You, you will be encased in bronze and they will wear your sweater vest for the next 50 years. So I'm just saying there's a lot of value to people looking at these jobs as to what they can do if they are the one to do it. And if there's one thing that all of these people have in common is that they have a monstrous ego. And that's fine. You don't get to be the GM or the head coach of an NFL team without having a monstrous ego. But this is the same ego that made uh, Josh McDaniels draft Tim Tebow as high as he did. They all believe that they are the one who can turn it around. And the Bears hopefully can make that work in their favor as they attract a top name for GM and head coach is you want somebody to be the one here in the Bear here in Chicago. Well, I'd like to draw attention to every jackass writer and sports personality in Chicago and across the national media who said that Ryan Pace was the next Theo Epstein, right? Because he went to Eastern fucking Illinois, right? Theo went to Yale, got a law degree from San Diego. Ryan Pace is young, shows up at Hallis Hall, and all this media saying the Bears got the next Theo. Seven years, zero playoff wins. Whoever's coming in next, you got to win a playoff game in sooner than seven years. If the expectation isn't higher than that, I'm out. No point in me spending my Sundays watching this franchise. Ronan, you got to get on the Quisi uh, Dofo Mensa, the Princeton Stanford guy. I'm just saying, I, I was laughing at the time when everyone's like, oh, the Bears got their Theo. They got, he's this young, brilliant mind. And I'm looking at that, that going, like, no disrespect to Eastern Illinois. If you got a degree from there, good for you for getting a degree from a university. But let's pump the brakes on that. And the guy was wholly incompetent wholly, completely incompetent, and Ryan Pace should be remembered as one of the worst executives in Chicago Bears history. Unfortunately, there's a lot of them. So he's good. <laughs> like, I don't know. He, might, he was better than Phil Emery. It's, it's, it's a woeful list, particularly yeah. in our life. Here's something as someone born in 87, so all three of us were. Happy birthday, Randall. I'm sick and tired of hearing about the 85 Bears. I get it. I understand the context of it. But, God, I just hope – that it's not 2036 or 2037 or 2047, and we're here going, ah, it's 2016 Cubs. Let's remember them in context. They were great, but the Cubs won a couple more World Series after that. I need a good Bears team in my life. And, and I want to piggyback onto that. I, you're talking about the 85 Bears, and I agree with you. And unfortunately, we've seen some issues with like Dan Hampton, so I, I'm sure he'll be out like not really in the news much or on the broadcast. But I also kind of feel this way a little bit about like the 2006 Bears a little bit. Like George McCaskey is incompetent, and what he said about Olin was stupid. But like, I, oh, like, and I love Olin because both his sons are going to Illinois and are football players, and I loved Olin as a football player. But like, like, let's pump the brakes. Like Olin Krutz has his own ego and his own issues as well. Like this is a guy who once punched out a teammate during a Super Bowl year. Uh, a starting lineman at a FBI gun range. So like, I, I don't need to hear like, you know, all these former bears come out and say, well, they need to talk to us and we're the ones who know. And all these things you don't know, you're just former players. It doesn't make you like know more about what executives, the Cubs should, or the Cubs, the bear should hire what, how the team should necessarily be run. Cause you've never had that experience. You've had the experience of being players. Sure. So I, I just want to pump the brakes a little bit on some of these guys coming out of the woodwork and really talking. And I'm like, okay, let, let, 
let's let let's hold it a little bit because like as George said, like or as I said, George is an incompetent. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing at these press conferences, so he talks and gets himself in trouble. But like I don't take Olin Kruitz's word on everything as well. I take Olin Kruitz's word though over anybody in the over front tr- office. Oh yeah, 100%. I agree with you, but but I don't. That doesn't mean it's it's a hundred percent like the thing. Like you know, like all these. I just think it's tactless. That the Chicago Bears are fighting and feuding with oh, former players. I agree with you. It's I like, get agree. it together. Win some damn football games. George that's McCaskey all- can't answer, doesn't know how to like say, you know what? That's like a private thing. I'm not going to get into that. Like I'm talking about with Olin or something like that. George McCaskey doesn't have to answer that question. Rockies of the NFL, boys. <laughs> My mom says I'm doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end with this. A good note. Randall, what's up with the Bulls? What's up with the Bulls? Well, they are engaged in a heated pitch with the second place in the Eastern Conference, uh, Brooklyn Nets. I almost said the New Jersey Nets. That's not the case anymore. The Brooklyn Nets at the United Center, a nine o'clock central time tip off start. Thanks for that ESPN. But uh, that will be a very good game to watch. And I know as we finish recording, probably all three of us are going to find a way to get that on the TV in front of us. But again, I say it week to week, the Bulls are exciting. They deserve your attention. Watch watch this Bulls team because I think they're going to be interesting and they're going to be really fun to watch all the way through to April, May, even maybe June. So we'll see. Well, you sold me, Randall. I am looking forward to watching tonight. And I got my Bulls hoodie on as we're recording here tonight. So you sold me on it. I want to put this game on here. Randall, happy birthday. Big day for you tomorrow, folks, out on Twitter, at Randall J. Sanders. Let him know how much you love him. Randall, you got a gift earlier this week in the mail. What will be the first thing you will cook in your new crock pot? You know, that's a great question. I'm thinking I might uh, get the ingredients, get some ground beef, some beans, and some tomatoes, some spices, some vegetables. Maybe make myself a nice pot of chili for some of these Mm. cold winter nights. So I think I might aim for that. I like that a lot. I like that. Well, have fun with that crock pot. Jeremy, get the smoker. Randall, get the crock pot. I'll get on a plane. Let's have an evening, folks, and go out and see some Chicago Cubs baseball this year. Sounds good to me. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Jeremy, nice job with the Kevin Foster trivia. Let us know what you think. We'll be back next week for episode number 53 and a chat on Dick Mountain, the former Cub great Southpaw. We'll see you next week. Go Cubs, go.